0: My prayer is this, that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. Okay, so some of you guys are new here. Some of you guys have been here a long time but I'm just gonna give you permission today to just go ahead and be a little bit vocal, like, like the baby there, just go ahead. If you hear the word of God and it says something good to you, you say amen. amen. You can say other things like yes or mm-hmm, anything actually. Anything that lets me know that you are alive this morning or afternoon, I would greatly appreciate that. So I don't feel like I'm here by myself. All right? So when the word of God says, my prayer is this, that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus. You say, amen. Amen. You say, yes. What a beautiful prayer, right? It's beautiful. It's poetic. I love it. It's written in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to invite you to go there with me. Uh, if you've got uh, your Bible or your smartphone, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. You can follow along. We're in the Gospel to the Ephesians, a letter uh, written to the church at Ephesus. And we are in chapter 3 for the moment here. And in chapter 3 uh, in Ephesians, we find this beautiful prayer and this very poetic uh, uh, phrase here. Paul writes and he says, I pray, I ask God that you, that you might in some way, in some capacity be able to grasp, even if you're just like scratching at it, that you could get a sense, capture how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. It's a beautiful prayer. In fact, the entire book of Ephesians is filled with beautiful language. It's so beautiful, in fact, that scholars uh, in the uh, 19th and 20th century began to debate whether or not Paul actually wrote this. In fact, they said, it's too good for Paul. Uh, It's not possible that Paul could have written something so poetic and so beautiful. In fact, amongst the nine letters that he wrote, Ephesians stands as the tallest peak, they say. So scholars think it probably was somebody else. But all the early literature and all the early church fathers in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century attributed this letter to Paul. But it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Captured here, if you've ever read Paul, you have to confess that it's pretty confusing to read. No amens to that? Have you ever tried to read Paul? It's complicated. It's always, thus here, because of which then. It's full of phrases, the sentences are so long. Paul, is when I'm reading Romans to people, I have to try to explain it over and over again because it's so complicated. See, Paul was a very um, educated man. And his mission in the world was to reach other highly educated people. And so he wrote from a, from a position of, of high thought. Normally, he's trying to explain and express deep theological constructs. But in this, this little verse right here, he's getting at the heart of us. And he says, I just wish you knew how high and deep and long and wide is the love of Jesus. Paul says, I just wish, I just wish you could just catch a glimpse of that. It's beautiful. In fact, it, it, it is so beautiful that, that, that theologians say it's not possible, not just because it doesn't sound like Paul, but because it also doesn't sound like someone who was in jail. If you don't know, Paul is writing this letter from jail. In fact, skip down to chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But but you have to understand, Paul isn't using that as a metaphor. As in, you know, I'm captivated by the heart of God. No, actually Paul is in, in jail. Historians tell us that as he was making his journey across Asia, he got in trouble with the law. I'll tell you a little bit about it later, but he got in trouble with the law, uh, and eventually he was captured and incarcerated, and he didn't think he was going to get a fair trial, so he, uh, he had Roman citizenship, and, and he appealed to the Roman authorities, and they transported him as a prisoner to Rome. And he stayed in Rome for about two years. And scholars believe that it was during that time that he's literally in jail writing these words. He writes these amongst others, and he sends them with messengers to the different churches where he's uh, been before. And so some scholars believe they think, this is too cheerful. (laughs) This is too nice for a prisoner to be writing. What prisoner would logically say these kinds of nice things? How wide and deep and long and high the love of Jesus is. It doesn't make any sense. Critical thought, modern critical thought says, there's no way a prisoner could be writing this beautiful language. And yet, that's exactly what it claims. Follow along with me, please, if you would. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul is writing, and if you read it from the very beginning, Paul says, It is I, it is Paul, an apostle. I'm sending you this letter in chapter 1. And in the first three chapters of this book, he's trying to establish, he's trying to establish sort of the reason for why he does what he does. We've been reading here, I know some of you guys are just visiting us today, but we've been reading here the last few weeks, uh, the first uh, two chapters, three chapters of the book of, of Ephesus. And I believe... Ephesians, sorry. Uh, I believe that Ephesians is the continuation to the book of Mark. Because you see, in the book of Mark, the author tries to get us to understand the work of Jesus in forgiving our sins. He walks us through from his birth to the cross, and all the way, he invites us to see him picking up and carrying our sins. The suffering servant. Over and over again in the book of Mark, Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer. He must die. But then he will Raise again. See, Mark tries to get us to understand that Jesus is the source for our salvation. That in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we find payment for our past. But what now? What happens after you believe in the cross? What happens after you say, Jesus, saved me? What happens after? I believe that Ephesians is Paul's attempt to help us understand what comes next. See, the cross paid for our past, but the resurrection prepays for our future. You've heard me say that. I firmly believe that Jesus doesn't just want to forgive your sins. He wants you to come alive for him and live for him. It's not just about letting the past go. It's about claiming the future. And I know that some of you here today need to understand this because you've been living trapped to your past and you don't see that you have a future. And yet Jesus made a way for both, reconciling in himself all the sins of the world as well as the promises for his kingdom. See, Paul was different from the other apostles. This you already know. But I'm going to explain to you why why this letter is important and, and, and why he's saying this right here. See, when Jesus was on earth, he was explaining and expressing what he was going to do. The will of his Father, that none would be lost, but that all would be saved. But when he got ready to leave, he was explaining to us what we were supposed to do. Do you remember that? Some of you guys right here, a long time ago, we had a sermon series called The Keys of the Kingdom, where Jesus explains in the book of Acts, right before he leaves, that He has given the keys of the kingdom to us. You remember Acts chapter 1? Jesus says, I'm going now. I gotta go. But, but, you stay here and you will receive power. And when you have received power, you will be my witnesses. You will tell people about me. First here in Judea, then Samaria, then all to the ends of the earth. It's the echo of what we find in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, what we call affectionately the Great Commission, Jesus saying, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching them everything that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. See, Jesus came to do a work and prepare us to do a work. There you go. I got somebody who's listening. Uh, The rest of you guys are like, yeah, I don't know about that. See, I think there's something that we're missing here. The Christian life isn't just about believing in God's forgiveness. It's also about accepting His calling. You see? This is our past, and this is our future. The Christian life is about accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as payment for all our mistakes and our regrets and our sins, but it's also an invitation to rise with Him in the resurrection into a new life. You know, that's why we call it being born again, right? A born-again Christian. That's why in our faith tradition, when we do a baptism, we lay somebody down into the water, symbolizing the death, to that old way of thinking, that old way, but then we raise them up into a new life. That's what Jesus did. But the life has to be lived by you. See, in the book of Ephesians here, Paul is trying to lay out this blueprint in this map because when Jesus left, the work he gave to his disciples, the work he gave to his church, was that we were supposed to be his witnesses, not just right around us, but all the way to the ends of the earth. Fascinatingly, the disciples were like, amen, preach it, and they saw Jesus go up, they're like, yay! But then they didn't really do what he said. Fascinatingly, After they returned and the Holy Spirit came, you remember in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. What we're seeing here, the Holy Spirit came. They began to be filled and they began to profess and be witnesses. They just didn't get very far. See, the disciples, the ones you, know, you and I know affectionately, were hampered by this one thing. They were hampered by their... I don't know what to call it, their origins. See, they, they, they were, they were Jews. They, they were in the inner circle. And as Jesus came and he was calling them out to a new way and they were following this new path, they were still sort of bound by their own worldview, their own long-standing history of what they thought religion was like. See, they were still fascinated by wanting to win over their brothers and sisters closest to them. So they were supposed to do that, Judea, but they never got to Samaria, and certainly not further. One of the reasons for that is because there's a long-standing belief from the Old Testament that the Israelites, the Jews' descendants of, were God's people, and that's true. But they came to sort of like twist that and believe that they were the only ones God would love. That was never the plan, you know that? Some people think, well, that was God's old plan. He got rid of that. But no, it was never the plan. The the Old Testament plan was that we were supposed to be, uh, well, that they were supposed to be a city on a hill, right? Remember that? That they would be raised up and they would bless the world. That as they were raised up, they would draw all others in. It wasn't that they would be raised up and everyone else would stay down. They were supposed to be raised up and draw. That's why when God says to Abraham, uh, you'll have descendants and and you're going to bless all the peoples of the earth, it was meant for everybody, not just those who were ethnically Jewish by the time we encountered the disciples this is kind of how they grew up have you ever done that have you ever tried to explain some of your behavior by just saying well it's just how I was raised have you ever done that have you ever someone said oh that's weird why do you do that man it's just how I was raised have you ever done that go ahead not just go ahead everybody do it yeah you're like man, that's just how I was raised Why do you talk like that? That's how I was raised. Why do you eat like that? That's how I was raised. It's like this thing that we've inherited, this way of seeing the world and seeing things, and they certainly did. But as Jesus was calling them, he was saying, we're going to put to death that way, and we're going to raise up a new way. He calls it the kingdom of God. You notice the difference there? See, in the Old Testament, they would talk about themselves as the people of God. A special, unique, only people. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Now it's about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the, the doors are wider, and they open long and high and deep and wide. You see? So Paul's uh, mission here, he's called because the original disciples didn't do their job. So God comes again. Jesus Christ appears again, appears to Saul, and says, Listen, I have a job for you to do, and I need you to go and take this this good news that I'm reclaiming you, and I want to reclaim others who are not like you. So Paul begins decades of ministry to people who are not Jewish. He begins in in Greece, Rome, and Asia. He does tours, and he's going all over places regular Adventist folk won't go. Y'all with me there? (laughs) Because see, there's some places Adventist people don't mind going, right? Come on, spit it out. We don't mind going to Loma Linda, right, because Even in Loma Linda, for a while now, they wouldn't deliver mail on Sabbath. Even the post office was Sabbath. Did you know that? Even the post office was Sabbath keeping. And then they said, ah, forget it. Now they deliver on Sabbath. Just forget it. There's some places where, like, it's safe, it's safe to go there. I know you do it. You may not do it as an Adventist, but you're like, oh, let's not go to this place. Let's not go to... Because there's some places where we feel we're safe, we understand, and they are like us. But Paul's ministry was to go ple- places where people did not understand. Well, they were not like it. See, Paul begins to preach about Jesus to a group of people who don't know anything about the living God, who've never been to church, don't know anything about worshiping God and morality. In fact, the Greeks were... Were, were, were infamous for being the most immoral people on earth, because they believed that nothing you did in this body really mattered. So they could do whatever they wanted, murder, uh, all kinds of sexual sin was all over the place. That's who Paul went to preach to. That's the church at Ephesus. Are you, are you getting my picture here? Along with those people there in Ephesus, there's also some, some immigrant Jews. There's also some immigrant Jews. So they're in the church community. Now, you don't look around, but, but but you'll understand what I'm saying. They're in the church community, sitting amongst the pews, were some people that have been here a long time, and a few who were just, just got here. You with me? Yeah, they just got here. And the people that have been here a long time were looking, giving the side eye. You guys know how to do the side eye? <laughs> like, you don't want to make it obvious that you're staring, but... You're staring from the side. There was a long-standing, we're giving the side-eye because those other people were different. And they didn't have any of the pedigree. They worshiped idols. Some served as temple prostitutes. And now Paul was saying, come to church. Jesus loves you. God loves you. His love is high and wide and deep. But those that have been here a long time are saying, hey, it's not that easy. It can't be that easy. You know what they said, I believe, they said it wasn't that easy for me. And if I had to suffer, if I had to work for it, who's letting these guys in? Yeah? Yeah? Right? And so Paul begins to constantly wrestle with those that are Jewish and have sort of like this historical spiritual roots and these that are brand new. And in chapter 2 and 3 he says, you remember this from a couple of weeks. He says, listen, we were all dead in our transgression. What's the transgression, anybody? An aggression does done cross the line. You went too far. Paul says, we were all crossed the line with God. We all deserve God's wrath. All. He said it out loud. All. Whether you were born an Adventist or whether you just got here. This is your first Sabbath. Whether you've been keeping the Sabbath or you didn't even know what that is, but somebody dragged you here. Whether you believed in God since the day you were born or you were out getting high last night. We were all dead in our sins. And we are all deserving of God's wrath, but, Paul says, but, because God is rich in mercy, come on, say it with me, mercy, because God is rich in mercy, we don't get what we deserve, instead we get, in the love of Christ Jesus, forgiveness and a new life. Forgiveness and a new life. Paul says, Listen to the church at Ephesus. He says, Look, I know you see each other and you're like, oh, I don't know about those people, but listen, we are all in the same situation and we are all receiving the same grace and the same mercy. See, Paul's ministry was to bring people that were far closer. That's why he says it there in chapter 2 and 3. He says, We were once foreigners, but no longer. We were once aliens, but no longer. We were once orphans, but no longer. We are now so sons, and daughters of the same Father. We're all belonging to the same kingdom. You and I are the same because at the cross, God made it level ground. You don't believe that? See, I think that's a problem with some of us that have been in church for a long time. We think the cross is good enough for some sins but not others. We think the cross can forgive our sins of pride and selfishness, but not their sins of immorality. If truth be told, it's the other way around. That's why Jesus said, you remember this? Prostitutes and tax collectors will get in ahead of you guys. Because you worry about everything that can be seen on the outside, and you don't take care of the heart. That's what Paul is getting at here. So he says, man, I just wish, I just wish we could all just grasp just a little bit how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus. Because if we just catch it, then we might see that it reaches you as much as it reaches you and her and him and those family members that we don't talk to anymore and those co-workers that... We don't want to see. And those friends that I'm just done with, Christ's love reaches everyone. Paul says, so live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. What is this calling? This calling is that we might, we might, capturing the essence of God's love, then live in harmony with that kind of love. Listen to what he says. He says, if you could just catch, if you just catch just a glimpse of, of how good his love is, you might know that love a little bit. He says this, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Are you ready for this? Because chapter four, the Bible tells us, and theologians believe that chapter four becomes the practical part, that here's what to do part. So the first part is all sort of theology, maybe emotional, but now it's, it's actual stuff. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I'm gonna give you some to-dos, homework. Who likes homework? Nobody likes homework. But, 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 but here's what Paul says, here's what you've got to do, see, the, the cross pays for your past, but the resurrection pre-pays for your future, but in order to live your future, you've got to do something. Oh, nobody liked that. See some of us think, and I know this is common amongst Christianity, that, that once we are saved then it's all well and good, right? I accepted Jesus Christ, and now I can just do whatever I want. All of us thinks that we have to work our way, but that's not it. The cross paid already. It's all paid. Now it's just a calling, a calling. So Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. Here's the calling. You ready? (laughs) Big ones. Here they come. Number two, verse two, chapter four, verse two, be completely humble and gentle. (laughs) It's fascinating, don't you think? Like after all this beautiful poetic, you think he's going to give some marching orders. All right, be live a life worthy of the calling. This is the, uh, you know, the, the brave heart moment when he's riding this horse. Nobody watches movies in here? You liars. He's riding his horse. He's like, men, you fought with me. Well, I don't know what he says, but he's like, oh, live a life worthy of the calling that you have. And everyone's like, ah. Okay, be completely humble. <laughs> and gentle. imagine that I mean when I read it I was like disappointed I'll be honest with you guys I was completely humble Paul is saying not just humble a little bit but completely completely humble what in the world does that mean to be completely humble in your version it might say something similar to being lowly in heart it's an echo of what Jesus said Do you recognize it Blessed are the lowly in heart. What is that phrase? It means that you don't approach the world as if you deserve better. To be lowly in heart means that you approach the world as if you could make it better. I'm going to repeat that. To be lowly in heart means you don't approach the world as if you deserve better. It means you approach the world as if you could make it better. Think about it. My family, my wife and I, and 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 Layla, were uh, on a trip this past week along with our eighth grade class. We um, we uh, traveled to Seattle. We we took a a class full of eighth graders. <laughs> I just I'm saying that I'm like I can't believe we did it. Uh, but. Um, but to get there, we had to fly the plane. And if you've ever been on an airport recently and travel, it's like the like the place that just brings out the worst in people. You with me? Like at every point, people think you're doing them wrong. Yeah, you with me? Like like you're in line and then, you know, you're just, and then someone's like, you know, like, hey, hey. Or, or, or you're, uh, you're trying to put your stuff in that TSA thing, right, and someone grabs that bucket in front of you. It's just weird. It's like so stressful. Everyone's out for blood at the TSA line. Right? And you feel like a fool because you're like, oh, I'm going to put my stuff back on, and the thing is pushing your stuff, and you're dragging your stuff over. And in those moments, you think to yourself, oh, this is humiliating. You've done that? So I'm going to give you a tip, uh, some of you guys are younger, it's not for you because when you're under a certain age, it makes you go through the x-ray line. But the rest of us, the rest of us, we have to go to that really embarrassing, yeah, the, the naked line, you, right? <laughs> and I know what's happening there, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is so humiliating, I'm a grown man, you know, like I don't deserve to, pu-. but I'm going to give you a tip. Next time you go in there, put your hands up, and you just flex. <laughs> <laughs> You let them know what God gave. You just, mmm Because, see, to be humble means that you don't go in there and say, I deserve better. To, to walk humbly means, if you think you're having a bad time, think about them. Poor TSA people have to deal with you all day long. Every day. You can make it better. I decided, <laughs> I decided I was going to smile my whole way through it. And I went to the front line and I had like past 20 kids. And if you've ever tried to pass 20 kids, uh, she was like, who's in charge here? You know, and I was like, hey. And then one by one, one, they have to say their names. And it's just complicated. Some showed their ID, no, I don't need your ID. It was, I was just smiling my way through it. And in the end, she was like, what is this? And I was like, it's eighth year class. So she's like, oh, okay. All right, good job. And then as I was making my way, one lady got upset at me because of all the bags we're trying, and I just like, I'm just gonna smile at her, and I'm just gonna try to make it better. No lie, no lie. She was really upset, kind of like, what is this? And I told her, it's an eighth grade class. So she like, oh, hmm. She grumped at me, and then we got across, and then I was getting the kids together, and then she was like, I'm sorry, sir. <gasps> A TSA person actually apologized to me. <laughs> She's like, uh, I'm sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to get upset. I was like, oh, it's no big deal. It's okay. No lie, no lie. It's okay. And just then, one of my kids got pulled over for having a knife in his back. <laughs> and they're like, who's responsible for this? Me. <laughs> and and he's like, what is this? And the young man was like, oh my god. I was like, hmm. <laughs> but you know, they didn't. He, they didn't give me hassle or nothing. They just like it's okay, don't worry about it. Because see, when you approach the world with lowly in heart, you can make it better. But when you approach the world believing that you deserve it better, you will always make it worse. Paul says, how long and high and wide and deep the love is. So step into this love by walking humbly lowly in heart, he says, be gentle, be gentle. And that doesn't mean like, ooh, let's stroke people's hands. You know, that doesn't mean that. But meekness, uh, Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is this this, this, this belief, this idea that stuff will happen to you, and you understand that, and you're just going to be okay with it and move on. Let me repeat that again, okay? Meekness is believing and understanding that stuff is going to happen. Hey man, people, doesn't stuff just kind of happen? Sometimes you want to blame somebody, there just isn't anybody there to blame. Stuff happens, but meekness is this idea that, okay, in this world stuff is going to happen, but I'm just going to move on for the sake of Jesus. Because see, in this world, that's the last thing people are being taught to do. Every time something happens to me, what do I do? I sue! I sue anything. I sue. We're such a litigious society. If you do me wrong, I'm going to get you. I'm going to call you out on your stuff. Because if you cross me, if you do anything, you wrong me in any way, I'm going to mark you and I'm going to get it back. And I know this because I spent the week with 20, well, 19, 8th graders. And they're sweet and lovely on the outside. But I know they're keeping score. And they're keeping score. And what's like fascinating to me, they're only doing that because you taught them to. They didn't know how to keep grudges until you showed them. Paul says, meek, gentle, listen, show your kids that sometimes stuff happens. You don't have to get paybacks every time. Revenge. See, they're learning from you. They're learning from us. They're learning how to hold grudges and hate people. And it's painful to watch. It doesn't look good on you, and it certainly doesn't look good on a 13-year-old. It looks really bad on a 13-year-old. But I don't blame them. I blame us. Paul says, listen, that was the old way. That's how everyone else thinks. But you, you are being resurrected into a new way. Now listen, if you weren't meek yesterday, that's okay. By Jesus, who's rich in mercy, you're forgiven. You can start today. That's the beauty of his message. That's how long the love of God is. Every day you rise is a new day to be gentle. So I want you to do this, all right? When you wake up tomorrow morning and the sun hits your eye and you open, you just say to yourself, I'm going to be gentle today. You can reach over and stroke your wife's hair if you want. I don't care. But I just want you to make a decision that on this day, you're not going to keep track of how many people hurt you. But on this day, you're just going to keep moving and keep loving. Be completely humble and gentle. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I know there's good food waiting for me, so that's all right. (laughs) Do what he says. Be gentle and humble, be patient, be patient, bearing with one another in love. This, this phrase right here, bearing with one another, has to do with carrying weight. And, and I, I, I want to make sure that you get this because I think we live in a world that, that refuses to carry other people's weight. In fact, what we want to do is call people out on their stuff. Say amen to that. Anytime someone does something, you're like, uh-uh, right? You want nope, nope. We want to call people on our stuff. Anytime your friends, hey, 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 you, it's too much. You're on my space. You're, you're, you're crowding me. Or anytime someone wants to unload on you, you're like, no, no, I don't have time for you. I'm just going to ghost you. <laughs> but the Bible says that we are supposed to pick up other people's weights, Think about that for a second. Bearing with one another means that I'm living with somebody who's got an issue, and rather than say, ooh, that looks messy, I'm going to walk away, I come closer, and I say, hey, let me share that with you. How can I help you carry that? No, you can't fix it for them. No, you can't make it go away. You can just carry it with them. See, the beauty about this, what, what Paul is trying to get us to understand, is that the love of God that is high, wide, and deep isn't for individuals. Listen, listen, listen. It's not just for individuals, it's for groups. Think about it. Look, Paul, at the very beginning of the practical section, he doesn't say, Now go out, lift some weights, and get really. He doesn't, it doesn't talk about you, he talks about us bearing with one another in love. The very first instructions when it comes to the practicality of living God's love is relational. I'm going to repeat that. The very first instructions when it comes to the practicality of living God's love is relational. We have been fooled Adventist friends. We have been fooled. All our lives we were taught that once we got baptized the next step was to get smarter. was to get more theologically savvy and study and study and study. But the very first instruction when it comes to the after, the what, the how, is to get relational. Be patient, be humble, and bear with one another in love. The mercy of God is not for individuals. (laughs) The mercy of God is for the community. That's why he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace." You know what being bonded means? It's got a couple of different meanings. If you do work uh, of like the handyman persuasion or or repairs and such, you'll normally, or you're looking for someone that will say, licensed, bonded, and insured, you've seen that? And you're licensed, okay, you kind of get that, but what is bonded? Bonded means that this person is so trustworthy that someone has put some money to stake it. There's there's a bond that says this person will be honest. If they cheat you, the bond will pay for what they did. Uh, This bond is a security. It's like a a security that you are who you say you are. You following me? See, I I think here the Holy Spirit uh, is the security. Paul says, "And, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit guarantees that we can have enough grace for each other. And when we have enough grace for each other, we we take in the second meaning for bonded, which means two things that are separate are now tied together. To be bonded means that you take glue. You don't glue and you take things that wouldn't normally stay together and you glue it and it becomes inseparable. That's what Paul is saying. See, the love of God is supposed to bring us into inseparability. The love of God is supposed to bring us into inseparability. This is your cue. You say, amen. Because when we're together, listen, when we're together, we are harder to defeat. When we're together, we are harder to break down. When we're together, we lean on each other and we help each other and we become, like him, a community, three in one. That's why the Bible says a strand of three is not easily broken. But if you're on your own and want to do it on your own, the devil is way too smart for you. Paul says the love of God is high, deep, and wide, but it brings us together, bonded. So that's my prayer for us. That we would be bonded, not just here, listen, listen, but bonded to those that are different. Bonded to those that are hurting. Bonded to those that are suffering. Bonded to those we don't understand because we can't bless them from far away. Bonded to those we disagree with because that's just what will develop patience in us. The love of God in Christ Jesus is high, wide, and deep. But it matters not unless you have somebody to give it to. So my prayer for us is that we become bonded, united here and with our community, and that we do the work that Paul set out to do, was to preach good news to everyone who hasn't heard it, even if that someone is somebody you don't understand or you don't think you could possibly like. I'm a firm believer that His love is that long, and that wide, and that high, and that deep. And I firmly believe that every day you have an opportunity to step into this new reality. So I want you to take tomorrow, just tomorrow, okay, this is your homework, rise and say today, just this day, I will be, I will walk humbly, lowly in heart, be gentle, and I will make every effort to be bonded in peace. Can we do that? Let's praise God as we close together the hymn of praise.